Uh, I'm just using this one. This one? Yeah. Well, do I have to press something? Can I press you first? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's been recording the whole time. <laughs> so, Lord, we just thank you so much for Josh, for his heart, for his desire to go after you with all he's got, Lord. For his heart to just love you well and to glean from your word as much as he possibly can through your grace and glory. I pray that uh, he speaks with boldness from his heart, the words that you've placed on his heart for us today. Mm -hmm. And I pray for us to have open ears to what you are speaking through Josh this morning. Just thank you. And we're so thankful for Josh. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks, Kev. Okay, give me a second here. I got something for everyone, okay? I don't know if this is going to work, but we hope it does. It's okay. It's a safe place, people. Don't get too... Just listen to that. Hey, doesn't this bring back memories? Okay, John. All right, that's enough of that, okay. Um, I could go on all day with that song. I love that song. Uh, so that's the title of my message this morning. What is love? Question mark. That's not in the song. Baby, don't hurt me? Question mark. Okay, so hold on to that one as we kind of dive in here this morning. What is love? Question mark. Baby, don't hurt me? Question mark. I don't know about you, but when I hear that song, oh my goodness, that brings back some memories. Not that I went to the club often, but oh my goodness, I just get down to that song. But if you don't know me, uh, my name is Josh. And the most important thing about me is that I love Jesus. So if you want to know anything about me, I'd love to chat with you more about that. But that's the primary thing I would love you to know. And uh, so we're going to kind of just dive in here. Last week, Klaus spoke on, anyone remember the title of his message? Of course, Joni knows it. I need you and you need me. And he was talking about our purpose as the body of Christ, how we relate to each other and care for each other. And the week previous, Tom talked about friendship in the greater context of the sermon series we're actually in right now, practicing the presence of God. And this is kind of interesting to me because uh, Tom was taking a two-week break there, and he just likes, we're going to do one-off. So it's going to be Klaus, preach on what God's speaking to you. Josh, preach on what God's speaking to you. And to me, it's kind of cool to see the synergies of what have happened, because I never talked to anyone. Klaus spoke on 1 Corinthians 12. I'm speaking on 1 Corinthians 13. So it's kind of interesting how these things work. Um, so yeah, hopefully there's some synergies there and that we can kind of draw some sort of linear progression for those of us who think like that. And if not, then we can talk about it after. But if you got your Bibles, I'd love you to turn to 1 Corinthians 13. And I didn't have it marked, so it's going to take me a sec. We don't have no slides, too, because I just said, hey, I don't need slides. Tom, you take it easy. We're good. We're going to do this together. We're going to open our Bibles. What? Oh, my goodness. Okay. 1 Corinthians 13. You guys there? And this is what I'm reading. This is all I'm reading. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 to 7. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. 
It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Woo! And uh, this scripture specifically uh, is interesting to me for a few reasons of which I just kind of want to share with you. But the first reason is I've, I've literally been reading this scripture, 1 Corinthians 13, probably daily for the last two years plus and just meditating, especially that part there. Like God, like, so the question that kind of came to me is like, what is love? Okay. Because God knows I don't know. Huh. And how do we love like Jesus? And these questions have just been going on and on in my head. And I've just been seriously asking, how do we do that? How do we love like you, Jesus? What is love? And the reasons for that are kind of a bunch of them. Because in the last few years of my life, um, I've become a father. So what does it mean to love like a father? I've been spending weekly time with these pew, pew, two beautiful humans, John and Nate. So what does it mean to love them in the place that they're at? How do I love my wife, Stephanie, more completely? And I mean, this is the place most of all that God has worked on my heart in trying to help me redefine what love is. Uh, how do I love and respect my father that I've struggled with for so long? Uh, how do I love my church family well? So all these questions have kind of, as I'm reading this, what does it actually look like to love all those people? And the second uh, thing that's interesting to me and that's kind of hit me with reading this scripture is I, I've grown up in church. I've been in church pretty much my whole life and known of Jesus and his way of life for a long time. But the majority of my life, I've rarely made the connection between how I've lived my life and the way Jesus asked me to live. And one of the biggest struggles I've witnessed, I think, growing up in the church is this disconnect between the idea of being a follower of Jesus and the practical application of actually following him. And so if we look at scripture, most of us have heard the scripture, James 1.21 says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. That one hits me like a ton of bricks all the time. I have this other guy, I really like him, but he's like, Lee's constantly telling me, hey, don't you put C.S. Lewis above Jesus? And I'm like, Lee, you're right. Don't do that with Dallas Willard either, but they're helpful. So Dallas Willard says it like this. The most telling thing about the contemporary Christian is that he or she simply has no compelling sense that understanding of and conformity with the clear teachings of Christ is of any vital importance to his or her life, and certainly not that it is in any way essential. Hmm. I'm not reading that again, Joni. Let's check out this sermon. But this is what I've realized, I think, in pursuing the practical application of following Jesus. And this is key here for this morning. I want you guys to hold on to this. Following Jesus is not primarily about doing things. Okay? And this is an idea we struggle with continually as Christians, as people who don't follow Jesus. And this is why part of the synergy of this morning, why cultivating, the practicing, the pre cultivating a practicing the presence of God is so foundational and absolutely essential for us to understand this. If our love is not built on this primary truth, 
it will amount to nothing. But I think part of the confusion for us is like I just read in 1 James, like, don't listen to the word, do what it says. So, I mean, you're telling me to do something, Josh. You're telling me not to focus on it. Like, which one is it? And hopefully we can come to a bit of a clearer understanding this morning. But inevitably, a natural progression of being with Jesus is that our gaze will be shifted away from ourselves and towards others. It's a kingdom principle, other-centeredness. So for this morning... I just want to share some thoughts. I mean, it's a one-off, so Tom said, hey, you, you go, do what you got to do. I said, okay, I'll do my best. Um, on how I've approached this popular scripture, and I want to do it by kind of breaking it down the way my linear brain thinks it works. It might not, but hopefully it's helpful for you guys. So we're going to go over God's love is different, God's love is difficult, and God's love is absolutely beautiful. For those note-takers... John, you didn't bring your notebook today. God's love is different. God's love is difficult. And God's love is absolutely beautiful. So let's pray this morning. Father, we see in so many places in your word an expression of love uh, towards your creation, towards us as people. But so often we miss the point. And our hope, Jesus, as you continue to stir in our hearts and build your heart in us, is that we would come to a deeper understanding of those things, but not just so that they stay in our heads in this place of ideas, but that it actually starts to flow through us in action and in reality. So may that be the case ever so increasing here at Anchor Point. Um, and yeah, we just want to give you the space and the ability to do that in each and every life. And so we trust you for that this morning here. God, speak to us and really just change hearts. We love you. And we pray this all in your name. Amen. So first one, God's love is different. All right. I'm the substitute teacher and y'all had some, y'all, y'all had some homework from last week. Huh? And I'm here to get it out of you. Who remembers what the homework was? There was two questions. I'm not going to focus on the second one. I'm going to ask you about the first. Anyone remember the question that, I mean, a lot of people weren't here. What was the question that Klaus asked us? First question. No, Joni, you don't count. Angela. Okay. Ah, uh, is God's love unconditional? And since I'm responsible as a substitute teacher, Brittany knows all about this. Okay. Some thoughts, ideas. What did you guys come away with last week? And I, okay, I'll add one disclaimer. This topic, there's going to be a wide range of ideas concerning God's love, and that's okay, all right? So there's not an answer I'm looking for specifically, but I would love to hear some thoughts. Is God's love unconditional? Now, you in a second, Joni, I'll come to you. I know, I believe it, but it's because you had to. I know, Jody. I don't, I don't credit that with you being married to class. Okay, someone, just come on, be brave, people. This is a safe place. It's me up here. I just played Hadaway. What is love? Okay, there's, there's, it's okay. It's all right. Any thoughts are welcome. Is God's love unconditional? What do you think? Yeah, Angela. Okay. Be honest, yep. Yeah. Uh, Jess? Jess? She's not here now. She can't help you. Right. 
Okay. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Right. But oh. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, ooh, good point. That's the other thing I wanted to say. And you know what would be really helpful too? I know we not everyone's just jumping out of their seats to answer this question. But what I think is helpful for us as a family of God practicing honesty and being open, how do we connect these things with our understanding of Scripture? So if you're comfortable, I would love to hear your opinion. If you just got an opinion, that's good too. But Try to tie it into your understanding of who God is through his word. That would be really helpful. And you did that great, Angela. Thank you. Anyone else got a thought? Joni? Oh, wait. John's got one. Yeah, boy. What do you got? I know in my head that God's love for me is unconditional. Like, even in 1 Corinthians 13, like, love never gives up. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But in my experience of, like, just the love that I've gotten from the people around me in the past and the subsequent, like, hurt and, and baggage that kind of comes along with just being in relationships with mm. other people is that, like, in my head, I say God's love is unconditional for you, but a lot of the times I feel like there's a limit to that. Where it's mm. like, but it only goes so far where eventually I'm going to be let down. And not that that's right, but... Sure. Thanks, man. Yeah, Brittany, we got... Oh. It's conditional, and that's why Jesus laid his life down for us to then ensure that it would be beneficial, no matter that the flesh drops. Interesting. That's a great thought, Bernie. Thank you. Anybody else? Oh, yeah, Heather. I knew Heather right away was going to go. Yeah, okay. Hmm. Mm. Again, what we do compromises mm. who he is. It's, and again, like kind of like what Andy's saying, like how we put up like our sin if we are choosing, like we have the choice to say yes or no. Yes. Sure. Yes. Nice. Thank you, Heather. Anybody else? Joni, you want to go? Oh, come on. Don't do that to me. Come on. I'm kidding. Okay. Just don't make it long. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Angela. It's not love. She just corrected. Thank you, Angela. As long as you need Joni, you go. Do you want me to stand up there? And uh, whatever you want. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I believe it's unconditional. God's love is unconditional. He loves us. It says John 3, 16, says God so loved the mm -hmm. world mm -hmm. that he gave his only son. How much more can you yeah. give? Sure. Son? So on his part, he loves everyone. He doesn't love the sin mm -hmm. in our lives, but he loves us, his creation. Thank you, Joni. Appreciate that. Yeah, Dan. Saw your hand too there. Is it still up? Yeah, sure. Okay, um, perfect. Yeah, I think, I think one of the challenges is 
the outworking of, of trying to believe that God's love yeah. is unconditional. Mm. And yet, watching other people live the Christian life mm. bogged down obligations that have been, I don't know, that, that somehow they feel that the Christian life looks like. Sure. Um, yeah. So the, the model is real time. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So the question, the question is, is God's love unconditional? It doesn't mean how we receive it, or on our part, it's not how we feel. We're asking, is God's love unconditional? Right. Yeah, I'm ready to fight, Joni. Whatever you, whatever you, let's do this. All right, I'm going to share my answer. Uh, in no way, even though I'm up here with the mic, is this a prescriptive, this has to be the way. So before everyone jumps to any conclusion about what my thoughts are, I'm open to conversation around this, okay? So my answer that I took for the homework because I was asked to do it, the short answer is no. Is God's love unconditional? The short answer for me is no. The long answer for me, and this is what I struggle with, is by God's love, what do we actually mean? I think there's a bit more nuance there into what just like is God's love just anytime. And the thing that like you just use this for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And God demonstrates his love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ laid down his life for us. God absolutely loves his creation, loves people. But I would say that God's invitational love is unconditional and all are welcome. He says in the Sermon on the Mount, ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. So that is a fundamental principle of the kingdom. It is always open to whoever, whoever does that. He says in Revelation, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open the door, I will come in and dine with him. So yes, I believe he's constantly, unconditionally inviting us into relationship with him. But I would say his relational love is not unconditional. He is a holy and pure God who has a standard for his family. And when I look at that, and I mean, like I said, this is up for conversation. I'm not saying this is exactly truth here, but I see this, this is how I see it in scripture. In John 15, this is, I, as I was reading this, I was blown away. It says, he cuts off every branch in me that does not bear fruit. So the branch is in Jesus. How does that work? I don't know. Open to have a conversation around that. Not in another scripture in Matthew, I don't know where this is, but not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so love to chat with you more about that. That's kind of where I stand on the homework. Boss, great question. And I think this is a great thing to discuss and talk about and sharpen each other through this. But going on to God's love, continuing on through that into God's love is different. Klaus addressed last week our tendency to romanticize God's love. And I would agree. We do that in human relationships. I mean, for those of us who are married, Lord knows we romanticize that relationship. Woo! I, yes, I've made many mistakes, but I think they're a great eye-opener to the tendency of us to romanticize this idea of love, which actually I think speaks to the bigger human tendency, which is focusing on one preferred aspect of truth, which mis misrepresents the whole. So what I mean by that is when we look at God's love, I can have a tendency to look at one thing in God's love and miss other aspects of it. Did God create romance absolutely god created romance but he created as one part of his love not the whole thing it's so much more 
So when we're looking at this passage um, and really considering, well, I know what patience is, I know what kindness is, I think God's been speaking to me about how his love is actually different than how I read that scripture. Because uh, for most of us, our experiences have trained us to read that in a certain way. Would you agree? When I think of patience, I have an idea of what patience is. When I think of kindness, I have an idea of what kindness is. So just to start at the beginning there and to go, we're going to go through a couple of those um, and just kind of look at them. How, could, how is it different then? If I asked you, I said, okay, we're going to look at patience. Love is patient. Now here's the question. Who is love fundamentally patient towards? Who is love fundamentally patient towards? And I, that's a question I want you to answer and be as specific as you can, because I think when we think of love as patience, we, you know, I can be patient when I go through the drive-through at Tim Hortons. <laughs> Most of us probably aren't that patient and sometimes I get a little ornery, but I know what it looks kind of like to be patient with my kids, with friends, and my own family. But when it says love is patient, who is love fundamentally patient towards? What would you say? Yeah, Angela. Absolutely. Thank you, Angela. Anybody else? Who is God's patient? Who is, who is love fundamentally patient towards? Who is love fundamentally patient towards? I didn't. I can't read lips, John. Okay. Anybody else? I'm sorry. I, I'm going to apologize for getting your brains working really hard here, but I think this is really important. So, oh yeah, Tom. Hmm. Hmm. Sure. Um, but I guess how I'll answer it towards all people. Thank you. Anybody else? Kevin's giving me a good smile over there. You look great, Kev. Ollie, I think I saw a hand there. No, okay. I, it's Brienne, Brienne, Brienne. Yeah, go ahead. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. That, that was very good. Well said. Yeah. Audrey, yeah, what you got? Thank you. 
Absolutely. Thank you, Audrey. That's great. Uh, fascinating to me that patience is first there. I don't know. Take some from that. Let that stir in your hearts. But why is pa love is patient? Why is that first? I don't know. But when I think of that question, who, who is love fundamentally patient towards? This is what comes to me. God's love is patient towards those who have rejected him and made themselves God in his place. And Tom kind of touched on this. In the beginning, we actually chose our way above his, rejected God's way, and somehow his love is still patient towards that people that have rejected him. So it's a patience directed to those who have rejected everything about God. And when you think of that applied to yourself, how many people that have rejected you have you been patient with? Right? Because our natural response is typically rejection in return, would you, say, would you not say? Hey, if you don't want anything to do with me, I'm not going to have anything to do with you. See you later. And so with that, and Brienne, I think you said something there that was really important and that I just wanted to touch on. God's patience, what we're talking about patience, it's not insecurity. So when I think about patience with someone like my son, it's not, it's not like this patience, like, oh, please, like, if, like I'm going to wait, but just please change. Like, you can do it. It's not an insecure patience, but it will not also lower its standard. It will always be receptive, like you said, there's not a time or a judgment. It will always be receptive to a change of heart in people. And I mean, the, the, the story of the prodigal son is that beautiful example of that, right? Like, hey, give me, my, well, give me what I want, dad. Okay, man, here you go. And he's waiting, like he's just there, ready to run out to, to receive someone who's repentant and asking for forgiveness. So that's the first one. Second example, love is kind. Everyone's like, please don't ask me another question. Please don't ask me another question. What type of person is this love expressed to? Love is kind. What, is, what type of person is kindness expressed to? Trish, what'd you say? Oh, okay. That's true. Sorry, Kelly. Unworthy, someone who's unworthy. I would agree. I mean, if as hard as that is, mm -hmm. you being mean to you, you're going to need somewhere. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Um, try and say something about that. Sure. <laughs> so when I consider this God's kindness, the thought that comes to me is we were all at one time at one time what towards God? Enemies. His kindness is directed towards his enemies. When you and I consider kindness, we often stop close to opening doors for people, wouldn't you think? I do. I'm like, and like even in the scripture, right? Like you who love others who love you, what 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 good is that for you? Even the tax collectors and the pagans do that. Um and so what I'm getting at in trying to just go through those first two ones in this scripture is that God's love is much deeper and fuller than our narrow understanding. And Jesus desires to create in you and me a kingdom heart that looks like his. But this is where things get really hard and difficult. In order for this to happen, death is necessary in you and in me. 
And I say that, and I know when you hear that, you're like, yeah, okay. But when you think of, and a lot of us have experienced tra tragedy and death, I'm talking about real death in you and in me. It's not a idea. It's something that actually happens in us. So I'm going to read the scripture, and then we're going to go into God's love is difficult. Romans 6, 1 to 14. Charge, uh, flip your Bibles there if you have it, if you can. Romans 6, 1 to 14. Okay, and this is what it says. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness, for sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. So what does that scripture have to do with the love that we read in 1 Corinthians? Well, I think a few things. And the first I would say is that the love we read about in 1 Corinthians is actually impossible for us to achieve, achieve in ourselves. In our old life, it's not possible. We cannot do it. That's up for debate. I've had that debate with some people, but can't do it. Number two, it requires death in us. Habits and ways of relating to people have to die. In order that, and this is the third thing, a new life can take its place and teach us how to love. And that new life is God's spirit. And what I just described there, it's quite possible that that might be the hardest thing you and I ever do. And I don't say that lightly. That could actually be the hardest thing that once you start to come to an understanding and a deeper grasp of what it means to love and lay down your life and a new life actually live through you could be the hardest thing that we ever do. Because the expectation is what? This is great. What does Jesus say? He says, be something as somebody is something. Anybody? Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. He actually said that. Anyone here have like, an, like anyone here perfect? I mean, some people might have gone straight A's and never got something right, but in your, in the way you relate and treat people, are you perfect? No. 
But would Jesus have ever said something or expected something out of you and me that is impossible? So, I don't think so. So how do we achieve what Jesus calls perfection? How do we become everything that 1 Corinthians says we should be? And here is the crazy part. This could get you saying, huh? We do that by not focusing on those things as the outcome. What do I mean by that? This idea, I just need to be more patient. My goodness, if only I had more patience. I actually, like, I wish I was more kind. I need to be more kind. Don't you? I got to be less rude, less selfish. I just need to forgive and forget. See, inevitably, those things, those actions will come through when Jesus, by his spirit, is living in you and me. And here's the synergy. And coming back to what we're talking about in our greater sermon series, practicing the presence of God is the foundation of the love described in 1 Corinthians 13. It's not just being patient. It's not just being kind. Doing the stuff for Jesus has never been the point, especially when we talk about love. So why is Jesus' goal not quantitative? Why is, why is his goal as a, your follower that if I'm like patient 85% of the time, or if I am kind to 10 people out of 12 today, we're good, God. That's what you asked me. I met the threshold. Life is good. Hey? Huh? Why is that not what Jesus wants in us? I believe because his main goal is not about the stuff. It's about building a kingdom heart within you and me. A heart that is inseparably linked to his. See, Jesus is incredibly smart. I don't know if you know this, but he's a smart dude. And he understands the human heart better than you and I will ever understand it. And he knows our bent towards rules and systems of doing things. Systems that give people the control and make us God instead of him. And so when we have that list, we don't need God. God, I got the list. I know what I got to do. I got to be patient. I got to be kind. I got to be, I don't need you. We're, we're good. But Jesus also knows that loving relating to individually unique persons is probably one of the most complex and fluid things that you'll ever do. Having to relate to another human being is, is hard, okay? And to care for them. And so that's why rules and rigidity will not suffice in God's way of loving others. See, my ideas of love are too small and rigid. They don't see the heart of the person. They see an object by which to apply a principle. I'm going to read that again. My ideas of love are too small and rigid. They don't see the heart of the person. They see an object by which to apply a principle. But in real life, patience kindness, selflessness, honoring will look different in different contexts and with different people. Can anyone uh, vouch for that? Like your patience with your wife, is it the same with your kids and with your friends and with your parents? It's different, right? Sometimes being direct is actually being patient. Like it's, it's, it, it just blows my mind when I consider all the different ways of actually loving and caring for people. And so the best way to understand people's hearts is to be rooted in the heart that both loves perfectly and has created each heart. And it's only through being rooted to Jesus that our death and the difficulty of it transforms into something unbelievably beautiful. 
And that's where we're going now. God's love is unbelievably beautiful. So here, I just want to come back and highlight what we've already just discussed. God's kindness is primarily directed towards who? I mean, I said it wasn't prescriptive, but for this, who did I say God's love, God's kindness is directed towards who? Someone's whispering. Enemies. Okay, okay, good. Let's stay there. This love for enemies is the most transformational force the world has ever seen. And that is the kingdom heart. It's from this heart that Jesus gave his life for you and me. And I think I already quoted the scripture, Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were his enemies, he chose to die for us. And it's that same heart, that heart that moved him to the cross that he wants to build in you and me. Doesn't that blow your mind? Like the heart that made him lay down his life is the exact thing he wants in you and in me. A love that both transforms us inside and transforms the environment around us. And this is why a love for enemies is so unbelievably beautiful. First of all, in our flesh, in ourself, it's impossible. We talked about that for us. And for a lot of us Christians, I think we actually think that loving our enemies is impossible. We don't really understand how we could ever get to that place. But something inside of us, when we see it, says, that's good. I actually, I want that. Because we've been created for the capacity of selfless love, being made in the image of God, but we broke that. Our sin, choosing our own way, we broke that. Yet something inside of us is deeply moved when we see selfless love. Would you agree? When you see that, there's something that happens. So what the cross of Jesus actually does is it ends up being the greatest expression of selfless love for you and me, and also the doorway through which we can participate in selfless love. And so the cross meets both those needs. It off. Oh, wait, sorry. And this addresses one, if not the deepest desire of the human condition, the desire to love and be loved. And the cross meets both of those needs. It offers us a love we could never imagine, and it provides us a person to love and to shape how we love. And so it's a fulfillment of that desire in you and me that is absolutely beautiful, and it is only fulfilled through Jesus. And so I've been reading this book. We're coming to the end, folks. We're landing the ship here, the plane, whatever it's called. I've been reading this book. Uh, it's called Man's Search for Meeting. It's by a Jewish doctor. His name is Victor E. Frankel. And it's about his experience in the concentration camps in Auschwitz. And he was in his early 20s. His wife and him get sent there. His wife dies. And so the book is just about like, we're all like, where, how do you find meaning in suffering? How does this work? He's a doctor, so the first half of the book, he's just talking about experiences. The second half, he's uh, going through this therapy he's designed. And in part of this book, he's out on his walk towards the fields where he's got to dig, and he's thinking about his love for his wife. And that is the thing daily that he's like so transfixed by that love that it's helping him survive, basically, is what he's saying. And so with that idea, he's daily walking out, thinking he literally, he's saying how he can almost physically feel her presence there with him, because that's really the only thing he has left to live for. And he says, he says this in this book, and this just destroyed me. And hopefully we're all not asleep and we're listening, because I, wa I want you guys to key in. This is, he is not a Christian. 
Okay? That needs to be said. He is not a Christian, but he is a Jew. Okay? Actually, I shouldn't say that. I don't know with certainty that that's the case, but that's how it comes across. And this is the quote. A thought transfixed me. For the first time in my life, I saw the truth as it is set into song by so many poets, proclaimed as the final wisdom by so many thinkers. The truth that love is the ultimate and highest goal to which man can aspire. Then I grasped the meaning of the greatest secret that human poetry and human thought and belief have to impart. The salvation of man is through love and in love. The salvation of man is through love and in love. Planes landed. Uh, just to kind of wrap this up, uh, we talked about three things. God's love is different. God's love is difficult. As, um, you know, Hathaway's love said, you know, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Sometimes it can hurt and it probably will hurt us when we learn what God's love is. But in that, God's love is unbelievably beautiful. And so I don't really have a practical suggestion of like direction for us to go here because I don't think that's necessary right now. But my hope is that something in this morning kind of stirred your heart, maybe bothered you. I don't know. That's okay, too. And that in that, you wouldn't just kind of like, eh, I got lunch this year. I think I've gone a little late. Uh, but talk to someone about it. You know, come up to me, go to someone and share your thoughts on what love is. So, I mean, I, community group's a great setting for that. But if you have any questions, um, find someone to talk to about that because I think it matters. And it, 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 the more you meditate on that foundational thing of God's love, the better. I think that's all that can really be said about that. So I'm going to pray for us. I'm not sure if we have. Yeah, yeah, okay. All right. Uh, and then Tom's going to come up and probably shut her down for the day. So thank you guys. Maybe I'll, oh, we got to pray? Yeah, we got to, oh, okay, we're going to pray. And maybe I'll, as I walk away, I'll play the end of Hadaway, What is Love? So, okay. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful that uh, you love us so much. You gave yourself for each and every person here this morning. And in, and in that, uh, you give us the opportunity and the privilege to somehow be a part of that and to share that with others. And so help us as a people that desire to follow you, Jesus, to just grasp that a little deeper. Help us to see why being in your presence is ultimately the thing that we need to shape a life that does all this stuff. But help us not to forget that the stuff is not what you want in us. You want a heart that is just rooted in who you are, Jesus. So may that be the desire of our lives to root ourselves in you and to allow the overflowing of your love for us just spill out into the world. We're grateful that you desire that. And we just want to be a people that's willing to engage with you in, in, in that process. So just, yeah, we give ourselves to you. We submit to you, Jesus. We love you. And we just pray all these things in your name. Amen.
Um, Josh, I just want to honor you, dude, as someone who continually loves us in difficult ways. I don't think I've ever met anyone that will say the harder things as graciously as you do. And in some ways, that's what you did for us this morning. So thank you for that. Honor your heart. Thanks, man. And we see God's love rooting itself in you, and it, it, it blesses us. Thanks, buddy. Um, I just want to pray again um, to speak this over us as a blessing this morning. This is from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And there's so much to what Josh said. And what we've been learning together is about learning to stay rooted in God's love. And I think it's really important for us. And even thinking about that picture that we shared a couple weeks ago about learning to navigate on the sea um, rather than following roadmaps. Like, how do we learn to 